Hey guys, and welcome back to the Yellow Cast, where we explore social identities through the media. I'm Michaela, and today we're going to take a look at a scene from the movie Remember the Titans. Now, this movie explores the integration of an all-white school and an all-black school, which comes with many changes, but the most important in this film being the changing of the football team, which is heavily adored in Alexandria, Virginia, where this movie takes place. Now, this whole movie, we can see how stereotypes and prejudice um, heavily affect the way that we communicate and we build relationships with others. And this is a problem, especially in a team situation, because the Black coaches and the Black athletes that are now joining the team feel undervalued. And when you're in a team situation, obviously everybody has a role and everyone needs to feel valued. So those Black players are no longer going to feel a connection to their team and they're not going to even probably want to play for the team. Now we're going to take a look at um, a scene in the movie. This scene is about five minutes and 40 seconds into the movie. So very quick into the movie, very quick introduction, where we see white coach Bill Yost being told his title of head coach will now be passed down to black coach Herman Boone in light of the integration of the school. There's those agitators and race mixers I feel like taking a swat at. Troublemakers in the burn are ready to put a torch to the city. You want us to burn up like lots? Every head coach in the system is white. We had to give him something. It's a world we live in, God help us all. I left North Carolina because I was passed over for a job that I had rightfully earned. Gave it to a white coach down there. Couldn't even tie up his own football cleats. Now you are asking me to do the same thing to this man? I can't do that. Herman? Folks in Carolina say you marched with Dr. King. So you stood toe-to-toe with the Klan. Said you a race man. That's right. I'm also a family man. Coach Boone, black folks have never had anything in this city to call their own except humiliation and despair. Dr. Day, excuse me. Herman, I think that you, you better look outside. Now, there's a lot going on in this scene, so I'm going to break it up and analyze two different parts. The first part I want to analyze is going to be the conversation between the school board member and Coach Yost. Um, so first, the school board member says, quote, we have to give them something. The them in question would be African Americans and the new black athletes coming into the school. They thought that by assigning Boone as head coach, the racial tensions between the two races were somehow just going to be eliminated. Now, this statement, while short, is full of loaded language. By addressing the Black people as, quote, them, and using the phrase, quote, have to, they show how hiring coach Boone is only to save themselves from any black Blacklash that they may receive due to the fact that every other school in the county has a white head coach. Um, we could see that they don't actually want to hire Coach Boone and probably don't believe in his abilities as a coach. Now, the school board member goes on to say, quote, it's the world we live in. God help us all. Once again, we can see how the loaded language has a very strong negative connotations. He's not directly saying that he does not want Boone um, as head coach. However, he's insinuating that having Boone on the team is going to cause chaos and they're going to need God on their side. Now, the next um, scene that I would like to analyze, or the next part of that scene, 
is we see uh, Boone explaining to a friend that he has been passed up for a job that he's been more than qualified for so that a white man who knows nothing about football could take his place. We could see that the part of Boone's identity that was most salient uh, back in North Carolina when he was trying to get this job is his race. And like I said before, they had believed these negative stereotypes that ha- um, and the prejudice towards black people. And because of that, they hired someone who uh, was not qualified. Um, you know, as Boone says, he could barely tie up his own football cleats. Um, and obviously a coach is going to need to know a little bit more about the game of football than that. So um, I believe that this would be an example of downward social comparison as well, because Boone knows that these coaches and these white athletes and now the majority of people in Alexandria and the people back in North Carolina, they only perceive him and evaluate him based on the color of his skin. They really haven't seen the way that he's coached and the teams that he's helped. They just see that he's a black man trying to take the head coach position away from another white man. But as we could see, um, he's more than that. He's a human being. He is a great football coach. And like I said, this would be an example of downward social comparison because it's going to have a negative effect on his self-esteem because he's seeing somebody who, like he said before, can't even tie his football laces get the job, even though he knows that he is more than qualified for it. Now, while Coach Boone is apprehensive to, t- apprehensive to take the position, he views because he views it as unfair to Coach Yost, you know, as he explains, he's had a job taken from him. Um, he was met with verbal and non- con- non-verbal conforming messages when he greets the crowd that um, has formed outside of his house. The crowd shows on one of the uh, highest forms of conforming messages by endorsing and supporting Boone throughout his new job at the school. Uh, This will help Boone's self-esteem and self-concept by reassuring that he has people on his side rooting for him. And it's not just, you know, his family. He has the entire Black community behind him and ready to fight with him. Um, I also found this scene important because I feel like it highlights a lot of what we're experiencing today. Uh, The Black Lives Matter movement has been around for years, um, but you know, at the beginning of this year, May 25th, the death of George Floyd brought on a lot of protests around the country. And along with these protests came the call for companies and people with large platforms to speak out on the Black Lives Matter movement and what they're doing to further educate themselves and what are they doing to help the movement and help those in need and how are they creating, you know, safe spaces within their company. And a lot of companies are genuinely doing this, but at the same time, there's a lot of other companies and a lot of other people doing this out of performative activism. And kind of like the school board member, they're feeling like they, quote, have to um, start hiring POC because they don't want to receive backlash on uh, social media or they don't want people to boycott their company. Um, So I feel like even though we are progressing, we're still seeing a lot of this today And what we need to educate ourselves on is systemic racism and how it's been ingrained not only in our police departments, but it's been hardwired into our economic and political systems. And POC being overturned uh, for jobs is still happening today. And what are we doing to break that and dismantle that? But that is all I have for you guys today. And that has been the Yellow Cast. And I'm Michaela. And goodbye.